The Tennis Gambling Podcast and Sports Gambling Podcast now are presented by WinBet. Bet $50 at WinBet and get $200 in free bets. Bet big, win bigger with WinBet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. I am your host, Scott Reichel, and unlike most episodes, I'm actually not joined by anybody. I'm going to be by myself. This is the first solo episode that we've had. A couple reasons why I'm solo, but the main reason involves time and the fact that I have a brief rant to get through with regard to the actual sports books in a second. But when it comes to the overall schedules of the tournaments in the United States, most of the matches or the late matches and probably around midnight or so. And then it takes a couple hours for the sports books to get the lines up. So it's really a lose-lose during the entire calendar year when it comes to being a podcast host for tennis. Because in Europe, you know where the matches are. You have the lines. You can make the actual podcast at any given afternoon time, which is very nice. But the problem is... Being on the East Coast of America, you can't really watch many of the matches because a lot of them are about at, I don't know, six in the morning or so. So that's kind of the loss there when it comes to talking about tournaments in Europe. It's the fact that you can't really watch many of the matches, but you can actually make the content. And on the other hand, in the United States, you can watch all the matches because they start at roughly noon local time. The problem is the latest match doesn't end until around midnight or so. And as a result, you have to wait X amount of hours for the sports books to post lines for either matches, quarters, or outright. So that's kind of why it's ended up involving me doing a solo episode at four in the morning because they finally uploaded the quarters and the actual tournament winning outrights and Sam sleeping. So that explains why I'm here solo. But before we actually get into the breakdowns for the outrights we do have to talk about the very very profitable final at least for me with regard to the tournament we just covered in montreal for the final i had the over two times i had the over 22 and a half games as my lock and i had the over two and a half sets at plus 160 and Karenia Busta ended up beating Herkaz in three sets very entertaining final a couple of crazy points there Herkaz looked very sharp serving-wise in the first set. Then he got broken immediately in the second set, and Busta held on to that break for the entirety of the second. And then the third set came around, and Busta applied constant pressure, eventually got the break, and he broke again in the final game uh, for the nice win there. But every set was 6-3. It was 3-6, 6-3, 6-3, and Busta ended up winning the title. So congrats to Busta. He looked like a player that was fully dialed in in the early going of the tournament. We saw him kill Berrettini. He destroyed Rune. He beat Sinner in straight sets. He beat Draper in straight sets. He did lose a set to Evans in that crazy match, and then he lost a set to Herkaz, but I guarantee you Krenia Busa doesn't care. He won a title, so that's big for him, and he's going to be in Cincinnati, so we'll see if fatigue's going to play a factor. Now, I do have to at least acknowledge how Sam did. Sam, on the contrary, did not do as well as I did. He ended up losing both the lock and the dog. He had Herkaz on the spread, which looked good after the first set, and then didn't get there because he lost the final two. And he also had, I got to remember what his dog was. He had the over 10 and a half games in the first set, which looked promising because both players were holding relatively easily early on. And then boost up got broken. And that ended up resulting in a 6-3 first set. So Sam lost both. I ended up winning both. But once again, Sam did have the outright for the quarter, on Karenia Busta at 25 to 1. So he had a very nice tournament. But time to actually move on to Cincinnati. But before we actually get into the breakdowns for the rest of the tournament, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsor. Thinking of joining WinBet? Now is the perfect time for new customers to join because new customers who bet $100 get a $100 free bet. If you're betting baseball, you have to check out WinBet for their reduced juice in baseball games, which makes them the best place to bet MLB. Plus, the WinBet Casino is always open 24 hours a day where you can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to Sports Gambling Podcast com slash winbet so they know we sent you that sports gambling podcast slash w y n n b e t 
to claim your free bet today. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're also brought to you by Odds Trader. On this podcast, I've mentioned time and time again the importance of shopping your lines. And while it might be annoying to pull up several books to find the best line available for you, it takes a lot of effort. And luckily for us, Odds Trader does the work for you because Odds Trader is the perfect place to compare odds from all the major sports books in one central location. You can also compare the different signup codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal when you initially sign up. The app provides you with player statistics, key game stats, injury reports, and projected game day weather for betters to make the most informed bets possible. It also has a bet tracker feature so betters can keep records of all their games and betting activity. Go to oddstrader.com slash bluewire. Oddstrader, the number one site for all of your game day bets. And welcome back, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. For when I'm break, I broke down or recapped what happened in Montreal and explained why the actual podcast scheduling for these tournaments in the United States has been disastrous and unpredictable. But we have another U.S. tournament to go through, and it is going to be taking place in Cincinnati. Now, they did have a couple of very, very entertaining matches on Monday. Uh, Batista Agut won in three sets against Sarundalo. You had Karatsev beating Nakashima in straight sets, 7-5, 7-5. Schwartzman came back from a set down against Mulcan. Besides that, uh, Isner had a classic Isner match where he won in three sets despite not breaking in the entire match. So he moves on to the next round. You had Nori and Rune having a very entertaining match that was back and forth. And Nori eventually won that in three sets. Uh, the match of the day was either... Murray Warenka, which was very, very good, or it was Tiafo Berrettini. And the Murray Warenka one, it was a very good match, but it's really weird to view these players when you remember how good they used to be. And I'm not fully trying to rose Warenka and Murray because I know they've had serious injuries in the last couple of years, and it was very nice to see them both put on a show. But I'm at least acknowledging that it was great to see them go at it again, but Maybe it just doesn't hit the same for me. I get it's one of those reminders of how good they used to be, which is why there's a little bit of nostalgia feel to when these guys go against each other. But to be honest, the movement wasn't great from either player, which is which we expect. But it worked out because they were against each other, and Murray ended up winning that in three. I expect Murray to not advance much further in this tournament, but nice job by him getting it done. And then you have the Tiafo Berrettini match. Berrettini loses in the first round of back-to-back hardcore events. Main issues have been the movement and the backhand, and the backhand's been especially poor. Tiafo, we've seen, be a very solid server. The issue is mentally, he occasionally gets himself into trouble, but he had 16 aces, two double faults. He ended up winning 83% of his first serve points and a crazy... 91% of his second serve points, which is really just embarrassing for Berrettini. Berrettini won 50% of the second serve points, which really kind of makes it shocking that this match was this close because Tiafo won 91% of his second serve points. So he only faced two break points in the entire match. He got broken once. Berrettini saved all eight break points, so Tiafo could have run away with this thing, but he ended up not being able to shut the door on any break point chances, but he won anyway, and then Chapo ended up beating Dimitrov in the final match on Monday, and I'm trying to figure out if I want to go through a rant or not on a player too. I'm going to mention Nori in a second because he's still in the tournament. I'll, I have to get back to that because it's a separate rant, but I got to at least talk briefly about a player who is still respected based on name. I know he was favored in the first round. I'll, I'll admit that Chapo had been struggling for pretty much the entire year besides the Australian Open, but Dimitrov was favored, and I actually like Chapo in that match. I saw Chapo play pretty well against Dimitrov in Montreal. I know he lost in straight sets, but they were very competitive, and I liked how Chapo was playing. Dimitrov is one of these guys who... There's really no way to say this without offending any of his fans, but I'm just going to say it. I think he might be the, I'd say, most underachieving player in the last, I don't even know, like t- turn of the millennium. 
I'm trying to look at Dimitrov's overall numbers. I know he's still ranked pretty high uh, based on ATP ranking. I'm going to pull that up right now. But I just have to look at Dimitrov's results and the amount of tournaments he's won or the lack thereof. He really hasn't been a factor at all in the last, I don't even know, four or five years. If you want to go through Dimitrov's numbers, they're pretty underwhelming. And to go through his overall performances, I know Dimitrov was viewed as being a next up-and-comer guy, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I get that he's still ranked 18th in the world. But if I told you that Dimitrov has won eight career titles, you'd say, okay, that might sound a little bit low. What if I told you he's won zero titles since 2018 in singles? Zero titles in about four-plus years. That's Dimitrov's career. So I've made a lot of money fading him in big moments in the past. I still can't get over his loss to Kozlov earlier in the year where Kozlov just completely cramped and Dimitrov still lost the match, which I just can't believe. But I don't want to really go down a full rabbit hole with Dimitrov because, to be honest, it's not really worth it because he's never really contending for any championships ever. But I don't understand how a guy in 2017 was number three in the world. He made the semifinals in the Australian Open. He ended up making the semifinals in the U.S. Uh, the US Open a couple of years later, where he ended up beating Federer in a pretty late match there. But he won the Tour Final. He won the Tour Final in 2017, in addition to the Australian Open semis appearance. And he has won semifinals since then in the U.S. Open. And I said before, he has not won a single ATP tournament since 2017, which is actually crazy. So Dimitrov's a guy who you always have to be wary of, especially if he's a favorite against a quality opponent. He just self-destructs mentally, and there's no other way to put it. And I don't really know why that's the case, but it's something to keep in mind moving forward. But Dimitrov's out, Chapo is in. And we got to talk about some of the outrights for the remainder of this tournament. Now, to go through the actual outrights, I'm going to go in order. Medvedev is the favorite at plus 275. Nadal is back in action. Technically, he hasn't played yet, but he said he's going to play and he's here. So it's plus 500 for Nadal. Alcaraz is plus 550. Kyrgios is plus 750. Sinner is 11 to 1. Sitsipas is 12 to 1. Nor is 15 to 1. Fritz is 16 to 1. And then you have Herkaz and Felix at 25 to 1 apiece. Now, I'm going to go quickly on the actual favorites in this tournament because if you want to go through the track record of this event, the high quality players have won pretty much every single time. But I said that about Montreal last week, and you had Busta win it. And all of the main favorites lost immediately, which had not happened in a long time. But to go through the actual winners in Cincinnati, Zverev won last year. Djokovic won in 2020. Medvedev won in 2019. Djokovic won again in 2018. Dimitrov won in 2017, which I believe was his final title that he ever won. Uh, no, he won the, of course, he won the ATP finals later that year, but it's the last uh, Masters of Thousand tournament that he won. It's the, it's the only Masters of Thousand tournament that he won. But that's kind of why I brought in, up the Dimitrov ran. It's because he's actually won here. And it's one of the last tournaments he's actually won. So I found that kind of fascinating. But Chilich won in 2016. Federer won 2015 and 2014. Nadal won 2013. Federer won in 2012. Murray won in 2011. Then you had Federer twice. Murray once. Federer again. Roddick, Federer again. So you tend to see a lot of top five guys win. A lot of big three wins with Federer and Djokovic and Nadal. You had Murray thrown in there while he was still competing for the number one ranking. Djokovic was actually the runner-up in this event five times. So he's dominated, but of course he had to withdraw because of the COVID rules for now. But to go through former champions, you have some options, but you don't have that many. And Murray counts, but I'm not actually going to count him because I think he's got no chance to win this tournament. But you have Nadal, who is still rehabbing or coming back from the rehab for his abdomen. So I'm not sure what actual percent health-wise he is right now. But Chilich is in it, and you have Medvedev. And that's basically it. And Rublev was a runner-up. Golfen was a runner-up. But Golfen lost to Garin. Golfen's had a disastrous last couple of weeks on the hard courts. Kyrgios was a runner-up in 2017. He's still in the tournament. And Isner is in the tournament, and he was a runner-up in 2015. Uh, but sorry, 2013. But the point is to go through the actual history of the event. It's usually a top heavy event. 
Now, Medvedev is the favorite at plus 275 after the three-set loss in Montreal to Kyrgios, but he's still number one in the world. He's still very good on hard court. He should be the favorite in this event. Nadal, 5-1, to one, I said before. Alcaraz at 550. Get out of here. I've ranted time and time again about Alcaraz and how he's extremely mispriced by the odds makers in every tournament. And I understand he's a top five player in the world, but I said last week, he's got to win something on hard court and he's going to have to prove to me that he's worthy of winning this tournament one out of every five times. And he responded by being the second favorite on the board in Montreal by losing to Tommy Paul in his first match. So I have no interest in Alcaraz. I think Alcaraz should once again be where Sinner is at around 11-1. to Kyrgios at 750 is interesting because I recognize how good he's been on the hard courts. And I actually think losing to Herkaz did him a solid because he was playing so much singles and doubles that fatigue completely crushed him in that third set. And he ended up really digging deep to win the second set breaker. Third set came around. He lost 6-1. He got absolutely cooked. And I'm hoping that the couple of extra days off for Kyrgios might allow him to recharge his batteries and maybe he can make a run. Sinner, I really, really like. I'm not going to blame him for running into nuclear Batista. Batista was was not Batista, sorry, uh, nuclear uh, Busta. Busta was on fire the entire tournament, and I just think Sinner ran into a buzzsaw. But I didn't even think Sinner looked that bad. Decent amount of unforced errors, but Carreño was serving ridiculously well in that event, and Sinner, I believe, only hit 50% of his first serves. So the serve really let him down, but I thought the movement was there. I thought the strokes were okay for the most part. Busta was just playing at a level that I have never seen him play before at. So I'm going to go with thinking that Sinner is a bit of an... I don't want to say a dark horse because 11 to 1, but I think there's some value there. Sitsipas also lost in the first round of Montreal or his first match. He ended up losing a Draper in straight sets, two competitive sets. Uh, then you have Nori at 15 to 1, and Nori actually won a three set match against Rune yesterday. However, I do have to go into a brief rant here on Nori, and I said I was going to get to it. So Nori is a top 12 player in the world, he will be top 10 at some point. And I do have to at least bring up the fact that in that first round match against Rune, something really just stood out to me. And it was how atrocious Nori's second serve is. And it's not fully breaking news to me because we saw it in Wimbledon. I've mentioned in the past, especially against Medvedev in the finals in Los Cabos. But Nori's main issue with his game, he can't serve. And if you watch the match against Rune, one thing that kept jumping out to me when I was watching the match was the speedometer. And I was trying to see how fast Nori's serves were. And his first serve was around like 108, 109, which isn't great. His second serve was topping out at 71 miles per hour. He had a couple of second serves at 65. I saw one serve, and I believe the second set, that went 61 miles per hour. This is the number 11 player in the world, according to rankings. I don't know how the coaching staff has not temporarily ignored every other aspect of his training with regard to movement, the forehand, the backhand. It's all good. He's a top 11 player in the world. However, I don't know how his coaches can continue to watch Nori struggle with service games because he doesn't blow it past anybody. And his second serve is basically a damn lob serve. I don't know how the coaches have not really just dug in on improving the serve. And until that happens, I really have a hard time picking Nori to win many events. And I get that Nori made a good run in Los Cabos, which we expected. It was a very weak field, did beat Felix in that tournament. But Medvedev killed him. And Medvedev won the final set 6-0 because Nori couldn't serve. And that's going to be the Achilles heel of his game for the rest of his career. And his coaches better step on it because you see it time and time again with players and how they struggle with the serve and they don't really learn it over the course of their careers. And it's really why they struggle and why they're not able to get over the top. And we saw Nori get to a semi in Wimbledon. He did have a pretty favorable draw faced off against Guffin into the quarters before losing to Djokovic in the semis. But 
I really just don't know how he's supposed to upset any of these big guys. The Medvedevs of the world, Zverev went healthy, Nadal went healthy, Djokovic. I don't think he's ever going to be Djokovic. But the point is, until he learns how to actually be even a mediocre server, especially on the second serve part of the equation, I don't expect him to win tournaments with big fields, and that's going to be a serious problem. Can he get past some of the early rounds? Of course, we've seen it happen, but I'm not going to pick him at 15-1 to when he's going to have to go up against a couple of really, really good top 10 players, and I think the serve is going to let him down. So I'm not interested in Nori there. Fritz at 16-1, to no interest. Uh, Fritz, I think, is an underrated head case. And we've seen his stroke self-destruct at times. Fitness has been an issue against Evans twice within the last couple of weeks. He lost both times. And I have a serious problem with that. We saw Fritz struggle to beat up on an injured Nadal. And his injury was so bad, he had to withdraw from the next round, the semis of a Grand Slam, because he was that injured. And yet Fritz couldn't beat him. And I think that's a serious problem mentally. So I'm not picking Fritz. Herkaz is interesting. Because he's 25-1, to he just made the final, and he lost. So it's the worst-case scenario for him, because he not only did not leave with a trophy, but now he's exhausted, and he's going to have to go up against, I believe, Isner in the first match that he's actually going to play, which I think he's good enough to get past Isner, but it's really a question, though, of how fatigue's going to impact him over the course of this overall tournament, he would face Isner and then either the winner, he'd face the winner of Tiafo or Corda. So Herkes has an okay region, kind of, but going against back-to-back Americans in America, I don't think it's exactly a great draw for him, especially after the fatigue, uh, after the long, lengthy run that he went on for the runner-up in Montreal. So I think I'm staying away from him because I am worried about fatigue, especially for bigger players. I think it's going to be a concern. Felix, no interest I mentioned before, I think he's an underrated head case or he's just known for being upset and for falling short in some big matches. And it's one thing to lose to Casper Ruud because Ruud's a very good player, but he got a run out of the building and it was in his home country too. It was rough. I believe it was 6-1-6-2. He got absolutely just body bagged and I have a hard time trusting Felix, so I'm not going to pick him. My pick for the overall outright though, it might seem a little bit crazy, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Nadal, and I'm aware that the abdomen is a concern. You have to worry about some withdrawals, but I can't stress hard enough the differential between the upper half and the bottom half of this bracket in terms of competition. In the upper half, you have Medvedev, uh, Kyrgios. So Medvedev might play Kyrgios again in the quarterfinals. You have Tsitsipas. Uh, you have, uh, uh, who else do you have? You have, have Herkaz as well. So you have a lot of really solid hardcore players and Rublev, who I forgot to mention. Now, Rublev has been struggling lately, but that's a lot of really good players in the top 10, and they're all in the same section, not to mention Chapo won a match who maybe could pull off something if he's on that day. But that's a lot of really good players, and Kyrgios might face Medvedev again when he just beat him. I think it's concerning for Medvedev, so I'm not interested. But you look at the actual bottom half of the bracket, and Nadal really has a favorable draw here. He'd face off against the winner of Chorich and Musetti. I'm assuming Musetti, but either way, that's going to be his match after the bye that he has in the first round. Then he'd face the winner of Batista, Agut, and Giron. I think Nadal can take either of those guys, and both those guys are not good at serving. I think Nadal could hold the zone. Now, injury is the concern with the abdomen, but I'm really looking at his overall section, and it's really favorable at least compared to the upper half. You have Sinner in the section, but he might have to face Busta again in the second round. Sinner's facing Kokonakis, he should win, and Busta's facing off against Kecmanovic. And I think Busta either fatigue-wise might lose or he might be gassed, but I actually do like Sinner in the hypothetical rematch. I think Busta's going to be out of gas. And then you have Felix, who would have to go through Diminor in the second round, and that's just to get to Nadal. I think that a lot of Nadal's toughest opponents have to play each other first before getting to Nadal. And that's why I think there's a lot of value at 5-1. to one. Now, of course, once again, it makes sense with the injury. And you might wonder what he should be priced. But I'm looking at all the other very, very good players. 
and a lot of them are just scheduled to kill each other. And I think there's a lot of value on Nadal as a result. So I'm going to go with Nadal as my favorite, my quote-unquote favorite to win the tournament. I can't take Alcaraz. I can't take Medvedev. I think Medvedev's road is going to be extremely difficult. Now, if he gets there, would I be shocked? No, he's the number one player in the world. But he might have to face Kyrgios again, and I don't want to bother. So Kyrgios maybe at 750, but he's still been playing a lot of matches lately. That kind of concerns me. Uh, if you want to talk about anybody else I'm interested in, I think most of the long shots are going to come from the Nadal region because you can make an argument that if Nadal is going to end up withdrawing, then that entire section is up for grabs. So if you want to talk about some long shots, I might be tempted by. If Busta had not won last week, I probably would have picked him, but I can't. Sinner is at 11-1. to 1. I think there's some value there. Now, the thing is, do I think that Diminor can actually beat Felix? That's kind of the question here. If I wanted to make kind of a bold claim, Diminor did get killed by Felix on clay earlier this year, but it's clay, so it doesn't really matter, but he lost 6-1-6-2. I think Diminor can give Felix a lot of problems because he can keep the ball in play, and we've seen Felix's stroke self-destruct at times. So Diminor, I might not mind at roughly 28 to 1. I think that's kind of an appealing option. If especially if you think that he plays against Nadal, then you might end up seeing Nadal struggle with fatigue because Diminor can force so many extra shots. I think that's maybe tempting at 28 to 1. Any serious long shots? I mentioned Chilich last week. He's at 40 to 1 right now. He looked very good against Munar, and Munar is a clay court specialist, but I'm looking at the actual setup for Chilich. He'd face off against Rusevori. I think he's better than Rusevori. And then he'd face off against the winner of McDonald and Alcaraz. I'm assuming Alcaraz. But I think Chilich is good enough to beat Alcaraz. And I mentioned this last week in Montreal in a hypothetical matchup that never happened. Chilich is a good enough server to really put the pressure on. We saw Alcaraz struggle with his serve at various points against Tommy Paul. And it's why he lost the match. He was up a break. He was up 4-1 in the second set. And he ended up surrendering it because he couldn't hold serve consistently. And even a lot of his service games, which he did hold, went to either deuce or 30, and he ended up holding. But I think Chilich can create enough pressure to potentially wear down Alcaraz. And once again, I think Alcaraz is extremely overvalued. So I think Chilich has some value there. Then on top of that, he would have to face off most likely against Rude in the round after. And I think that Chilich could handle Rude because of the size differential. And I just think that uh, Chilich would be able to overpower him with the serve and forehand. So Chilich, I think, is interesting at 40-1. to 1. Besides that, really not interested in anybody. I wanted to make a case for some players. I thought Karatsev looked okay in the first round. A lot of it's going to sound repetitive to last week because a lot of the same field is in this tournament. That was in it last week as two. That was in last week's event, too. But Karatsev, I'm looking at, he'd play Schwartzman in the second round. I do like I do like Karatsev to win that match. But then he would face off against most likely Sitsipas. Sitsipas would have to face off against the winner of Krajinovic and Evans. Evans might be still gassed from his three-set marathon against Busta in the semis, followed by his finals run in doubles in Montreal. So I am concerned about fatigue there. I think Evans could potentially beat Sitsipas, but... Karatsev, I think, could be a guy to watch out for potentially as a serious, serious long shot at a really, really nice price of 150 to 1. I mean, 150 to 1 for a guy that's had pretty solid results on hardcore in his last couple of years, I think is kind of tempting and maybe he's worth a flyer, but it's 150 to 1. That's kind of all I'm going to say for the outrights. But my main favorite is going to be Nadal. And as for some. Other options, I think Sinner at 11-1 to 1 is intriguing. Uh, if you want to talk about some other guys that are a lot bigger prices, Diminor at 28-1, to 1, Chilich at 40-1, to 1, and I don't mind Karatsev at 150-1. to 1. I think 150-1 to 1 is a good price, but that's how I'm going to look at it, especially since Schwartzman has been struggling to put opponents away early on. He had a three-set marathon where he came from behind against Davidovich Fakina, and Fakina is not a good hardcore player at all. Then he had to come from behind against Mulcan yesterday. Mulcan is not exactly a great hardcore player. The Schwartzman's been winning some matches, but he hasn't looked great. And we saw Karatsev beat the crap out of Schwartzman in the Australian Open a couple years ago. So I know that Karatsev actually matches up quite well against Schwartzman. 
And 150 to one, I think, is a pretty solid price. So I think that's worth the long shot. But now the time to pivot to some of the quarters and what I actually like for the potential value plays in each quarter. By the way, Karatsev, I said that he beat him in the Australian Open. He did in straight sets in 2021. Then they played on clay, and Karatsev won in three sets there too. So Karatsev has done very well against Schwartzman, so just keep that in mind. But to go through the actual outrights for the quarters, as of right now, we have all four quarters ready to go. Medvedev is the favorite in the first quarter at plus 110. Kyrgios is second at plus 250. Fritz is plus 550. Rublev is 8 to 1. And Chapovalov is 10 to 1. If you want to go for some other long shots, Tommy Paul is 18 to 1. Brooksby is 22 to 1. That's basically it. Um, for this one, uh, the question is do I think Medvedev actually gets revenge or not against Kyrgios? I'm assuming Kyrgios makes it there. Uh, he plays Davidovich Fakina in the first round. And to go through the rest of the actual bracket for Kyrgios, it's a decent draw. It's not amazing per se. Uh, he would face off against Fritz most likely in the second round, followed by probably Rublev and then Medvedev. So it's a pretty tough draw there for Kyrgios. I think I'm going to go with Medvedev. I recognize he's been a bit underwhelming as the number one overall just player in the world because he hasn't won many titles this year and he lost in a bunch of finals. Uh, particularly on grass. But the point is, I do think that Kyrgios is going to have a tough road, and I'm not sure that he's going to actually get to Medvedev. But Medvedev has to face off against Zanschlup, who I think will beat. Then, most likely, Tommy Paul or Shapo. And I think Medvedev's better than both guys. I just think that he has a much easier draw compared to the rest of the field. So I would take Medvedev at plus 110. I think he should end up making it to the semis. But I mentioned before, why I'm not taking him to win the entire tournament. It's because why the hell would I take plus 275 to win the entire tournament, but I can just take plus 110 to make the semis and then potentially roll it over from there. So Medvedev, I'll take to win the first quarter. As for long shots, I really don't have many options. Shapo, I was impressed with the form, but he's so erratic that I don't know if I can fully trust him at 10 to 1. I kind of wish his price was flipped with Tommy Paul. I wish if he would, if Shapo was like 15 to one or maybe 20 to one, maybe I would take a flyer, but I don't think I can. And Rublev's been a disaster lately. Tommy Paul's intriguing, I guess, if you think he could beat Medvedev, but I don't. So I think I'm not going to take any long shots here. I think I'm going to just go with Medvedev to win the first quarter at plus 110. And moving on to the second quarter, you have Sitsipas at plus 200. Herc has at 4-1. to one. Then you have Tiafo at plus 550. Korda plus 550. Schwartzman 8-1. to one. Isner 10-1. to one. Evans 10-1. to one. Karatsev 10-1. to one. And Krajinovich at 22-1. to one. So for comparison, Baez and Fagnini were the longest shots in the first quarter at 80-1. to one. And the second quarter's biggest long shots, 22-1. to one. And everyone else is, is 10-1 to one or lower. So that tells you how up in the air... The second quarter is Sitsipas, we also know, has really been struggling lately. So I'm not exactly sold on taking him when he's played one hard court match in the last couple of months. Now, Herc has, I'm concerned about fatigue. So I think that's going to be a problem. Tiafo is a bit of a head case. However, he did end up beating Berrettini and he served very well. Now, to go through the actual draw for Tiafo, he got past Berrettini, which of course is going to be a big, big plus for him moving forward. But he faces off against Korda in the second round. And Korda is a guy who is kind of, I don't want to say the opposite of Tiafo, but Tiafo is a bigger server. He's also more unpredictable. And Korda's tends to be more steady. Now, we've seen Korda self-destruct at various points. So I do think that's concerning. And I do think that you might see one of these guys self-destruct over the course of three sets. I think this would go three sets if they play each other in the tournament. But I do think Tiafo has enough firepower to get past Korda. And I'm still not sold on Korda's serve. And I do think that's going to be the deciding factor. Tiafo is 3-0 against Korda in his career. Two wins on hard court. And then he beat him on clay in 2022. But they played in Indian Wells in 2021, and Tiafo beat him 6-0, 6-4. He absolutely crushed him. So I'll go with Tiafo as a potential value play here at plus 550. 
I like the current form and looking at the overall draw, play Corda, and then he plays the winner of the Isner and Herkaz match. And I question the fatigue for Herkaz, and we know Isner is a guy who's really good at serving, but he can't really move, and we know Tiafo is good at serving too. So I think Tiafo could force a couple breakers. We know Tiafo is an underrated returner, and I don't think Isner is a good enough returner to even break Tiafo once. So if you're going to look at breakers, I don't mind taking a shot there with Tiafo. Now, I will point out that Tiafo is 0-3 against Isner. However, they did play in 2016 on hard court, and Tiafo actually won the first two sets. Then he lost the next three. That was 2016. So Tiafo was still an up-and-coming player, mostly a challenger circuit guy, and he still pushed Isner to five. Then in 2017, they played in Cincinnati, and Isner beat him 7-6-7-5. But once again, 2017, that's five years ago. Then they played this past year on clay, and Isner won in three sets in Houston. But the two sets on hard, the two matches on hard court, Tiafo's given Isner a run for his money, and Tiafo's a much better player now than he was in 2017 and 2016. I think Tiafo might be favored in that match. But if you want to talk about where I think the value lies, I actually like Tiafo at plus 550, riding the American crowd to get the job done there. Now, if Paz wins the quarter, would I be shocked? No, because I think he's the most talented player in this quarter, but mentally, he has not been there. And we saw him blow up against Kyrgios and Wimbledon. We saw him struggle against Draper with unforced errors. I am going to go with Tiafo at plus 550. I like the value. And moving on to the third quarter, Alcaraz is plus 120. Nori is plus 300. Rude is plus 350. Chilich is 6-1. to one. Then you have Murray at 11-1, to Rusevori, and a couple long shots who have no shot. So the question is, do I think Alcaraz actually makes it out of the quarter? He should. Now, Nori, I just roasted for his second serve ineptitude. And I think that for that reason, Alcaraz will beat him because I think Alcaraz is just going to just destroy that second serve. But I think if I was going to pick somebody in this section, I mentioned Chilich as the long shot to win the tournament. Six to one, I think is actually a pretty good price. I think that could have some value to it. Chilich, I thought looked good in Montreal. He ended up losing, of course, but I thought he looked pretty sharp and he looked good again against Munar in the first round. I think he's good enough to beat Rusevori, and I think that he could potentially upset Alcaraz. But if you want to talk about where the value is, I think it's all on Rude. I think Rude has a very nice draw. Rude has the bye in the first round, then would face off against the winner of Sunigo and Shelton. Shelton has a wild card, a good server, but he's still extremely young, and I think Rude's the much better player. Then he'd face off against Murray and Nori, whoever wins that matchup. And I just simply think that Rude is a bit more consistent. And I have serious problems, once again, with the second serve for Nori. And I think that's going to be a problem. But I do think that Rude, from what I saw, especially against Felix, Rude has a gear on hardcore. I'm not sure how often he's going to show it off, but Rude has the ability to beat anybody on hardcore in this quarter. They've also played all three times head-to-head on hardcore between Rude and Nori. And Rude is actually 3-0. and on hard court. And the recent matches they played in San Diego last year, Rude beat him 6-0-6-2 in the final. Absolutely crushed him. They played indoor in the Nito ATP final, and Rude won that one in three sets. And then they played in 2022 in Miami, and Rude won 6-3-6-4. So Rude's 3-0 on hard courts against Nori. That's good enough for me. I think the value's on Rude here at plus 350, and Chilich, I'm not picking Murray. Murray, good win against Waranka. If you rewatch the match, you can tell that Murray and Waranka are perfect opponents for each other because they both have compromised movement at the stage in their careers. Not against the younger guys. Murray's going to not reach the semis. I'll tell you that much. But I do think Murray's probably going to end up losing to Nori in the second round, but we'll see what happens there. But I'm going to go with Rude, and I'm going to go with Chilich as my picks for the third quarter. And for the fourth quarter, you have a very, very impressive top of the actual section. And you have Nadal at plus 120. You have Sinner at plus 350. You have Felix at 6-1. to one, Diminor at 7-1. to one, Batista Good at 8.5-1. to one, Karenia Busta at 12-1. to one. You have a lot of really good players in the top end of this quarter. And Nadal, I mentioned, 
for five to one to win. I am not going to pick him to win the quarter. I think the difference is that Medvedev is plus 110, but he's plus 275 to win the tournament. But Nadal is plus 120 here, and he's 5-1 to one to win the tournament. I would rather just take Nadal to win the tournament. And I mentioned the injury angle, uh, or how that could be potentially a problem for Nadal. As a result, if I'm going to pick if I'm gonna pick him to make the semis, I'm going to pick him to go the whole way. So I'm not going to pick Nadal. I don't think there's any value on a guy who might withdraw mid-tournament at plus 120. I think that's a problem. Sinner plus 350, I think, is appealing. Uh, Sinner, as I said before, lost to Karenia Busta because Busta went nuclear, and I'm not going to overreact to it. I thought Sinner you know, could have played better, but he'll learn from it, and I hope he bounces back. Felix, I have no interest in. I don't trust him actually beating Sinner or Nadal or both. I just think that he's too much of a head case right now. Diminor, I mentioned, as a long shot. I think 7-1 to is a decent price. We saw him win on hard court in Atlanta. So I know that he's capable of making pretty good runs on hard court. And he is definitely a very, very solid mover. He's one of the best movers on tour. So I do think he can wear down opponents over the course of this event, especially in hot temperatures. But Diminor, I think, could beat Felix. I think that is possible. And Sinner, I think, has a good opportunity to face off against Nadal potentially in the quarters. I think if I was going to pick somebody not named Nadal because I just said I'm throwing him out for the lack of value. I would pick center because I do think Karenia Boos is going to be absolutely gassed from his huge run there in Montreal. I think center gets revenge, so I'll pick him. And I do think that center is good enough, obviously, to beat Diminor or Felix. So I think if I was going to pick somebody, uh, I would pick center at plus 350. But I do like the value on Diminor at 7-1. to one. Busta, you can make an argument for, but he played so well for so many matches in Canada, and I'm concerned about fatigue. So I'm not going to pick Busta. If you want to, go ahead. But those are really the only options I'm looking at. Uh, yeah, I'll go with Sinner or Diminor, or I'll potentially some plays on both. But uh, before we actually move on to the lock and dog segment for this episode, we're going to take another quick word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by Run Your Pool. Run Your Pool is the home of competition, bringing sports fans and their social circles together to compete, connect, and make every game more important. Run Your Pool offers every game type under the sun, from Pick'em and Survivor to Fantasy Pools. It's a one-stop shop for sports gaming with customizable features that you don't get anywhere else. We've teamed up with Run Your Pool to host a pool for our annual SGPN NFL Survivor Contest. It is free to enter, and there are tons of amazing prizes that will be announced soon. Hop in now to reserve your spot. Get in over at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash survivor. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash survivor. We're also brought to you by Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. And they also just passed 4 million users. And now you could win money on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over-under. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money that you put in. And with the NFL season right around the corner, Sleeper is is the first sports contest game built into the fantasy experience. The main reason why I'm excited about the over under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I could join my buddies contest and play together. It's got a built in group chat where I could see and copy my friends picks with just the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money on your mobile phone. Join our listener group at uh, on Sleeper at sleeper.com slash SGP and Sleeper will automatically match your first deposit up to $100. Again, go to sleeper.com slash SGP and you'll get $100 matched on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. We're also brought to you by Trade Coffee. Do you like to have delicious coffee delivered straight to your home? Then Trade Coffee has you covered. Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. On top of that, Trade Coffee also has a team of coffee experts that personally taste test over 450 roasts so they know exactly what to recommend for you. All you have to do is answer a couple of questions and you'll get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. Trade also 
has a great deal going on right now. They're offering new subscribers a total of $30 off their first order, plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com SGP. That's more than 40 cups of coffee, absolutely free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com SGP and let trade find you a coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com SGP for $30 off. We're also brought to you by Dave. We've all been in a situation or two at some point in our lives we were a little bit short on cash. Maybe you can only afford a couple of gallons of gas or maybe you got another save the date and you're wondering how you're supposed to afford a gift. That is where Dave can help you. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill up your tank, buy a wedding gift, or even to catch up on your bills. All you have to do is download the Dave app from the app store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC. Future you will thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. I just finished previewing Cincinnati, going through the outrights, both for the overall tournament and for each individual quarter. Now it's time to get into the actual money portion, the immediate money portion of the show. It's time for the lock and dog segment, and I'm by myself here. Sam did tell me before he passed out that he's his favorite lock was the top half to win the tournament at minus 135. So that's his favorite play. And that's going to be the lock. He didn't tell me what his dog was, but I do like that play. And to go through the top half once again, you have a lot of really, really solid players. So I do think it's a good way to get a bunch of players grouped together at minus 135. And to go through the actual bracket once again for the top half, it covers Medvedev, it covers Shapo, it covers Fritz, it covers Kyrgios, and it covers Rublev. Uh, yeah, it I'm, it also covers uh, Sitsipas. It covers uh, Herkaz as well. You have a lot of really good players grouped in. And in the bottom half, you do have some decent options. You got Rude. You got Chilich. You have Alcaraz. You have Nadal. You have Felix. You have Busta. You have Sinner. But the point is, I still think that the top half is a lot more loaded than the bottom half based on consistency, especially since Nadal is the favorite in that bottom half and he might not end up making it health wise at the end of the tournament. So Sam's favorite play or the lock that he had was the top half to win the tournament at minus one thirty five. And now to move on to my lock is going to be on an actual match. I'm going to take a look at the matchup between Chorich and Musetti taking place Tuesday morning. And for this matchup here, I like the favorite. I'm going to go with Musetti on the money line. And simply put, Musetti is just in much better form, and there's no other way to slice it. To go through the actual recent performances from both players, we know Musetti ended up winning a title on clay, I'll admit it, but he did end up having a huge, huge run. And then he responded by taking some time off, played in Umag. Sorry, yeah, he won in Umag. Wait, sorry, let me just make sure I got this uh, correct. Yeah, he won in Hamburg, then he lost in Umag, then he took some time off, a couple weeks, then he beat Altmaier, and he beat Lahovich on hard court in Cincinnati. So, Musetti made the transition pretty well to hard court, and I'm looking at Chorich, and I know that historically speaking, he's been a pretty good hard court player. The issue is, he played two and a half matches in Hamburg on clay, beat Dejir, beat Greek Spore, and then retired mid-second set against Molkan because of injury. And then he came back in Montreal to hardcore, and he got his ass kicked. Chilich killed him, uh, 1-6, 3-6-2. So Musetti has played a couple of hardcore matches in Cincinnati, and he's 2-0. And Chorich has not won a hardcore match in a very, very long time. So I do think that there's a lot of value on Musetti here, especially based on current form. And the reason why I'm taking the money line instead of the spread, is because of that withdrawal possibility or that retirement possibility with Chorich. And you could potentially take minus half a game or minus one and a half if you really want to cut into some of the juice. But I really just can't overlook the part about Chorich having injury concerns. And I do think if Musetti wins the first set, there is a chance that Chorich withdraws or retires. And I do think as a result, there's some value on the money line, especially in comparison. But the money line price is really not that bad. I figured going into this match, just looking at the actual bracket, that I figured Musetti would be around minus 180, 
something like that. I just don't really trust George based on current form. And yet you can currently find him at minus 152. I really like it. And I'm going to take it. I think there's a lot of value there. So my lock's going to be on Musetti on the money line against Chorich. Make sure that the book you use accepts money line bets if one set's been complete. Some books might screw you in the fine print, and they might say that the full match has to be completed. Retirements count as uh, uh, refunds. So keep that in mind. But I am going to end up taking Musetti on the money line as my lock. And for my dog in this one, I'm going to, ah, what I want to do. I could fade Busta with the fatigue angle, which is definitely, I think, a underratedly smart play. But I'm actually going to go with a guy I talked about as a potential long shot, and I think this is a bit mispriced. I'm going to look at the Karatsev and Schwartzman match. Uh, I'm going to go with an alternative spread uh, for... Yeah, for Karatsev. Sorry, I'm kind of just pulling this up right now. I'll go with minus two and a half. I'll live a little. I'll take Karatsev minus two and a half games against Schwartzman, and that pays out right now at plus 115. It's a small dog, but Schwartzman we've seen get smacked in various sets, and Karatsev has the firepower to really cause Schwartzman problems. But I do think Karatsev has value. He's 2-0 and uh, with both wins on hard, uh, with one win on hardcore and straight sets and one win on clay in three sets, but he beat him in the Australian Open 6-3, 6-3, 6-3. He dominated the entire match, and Schwartzman has been winning some matches on hardcore, but he hasn't looked great. So once again, Sam's lock's going to be the top half to win the tournament at minus 135. My lock is going to be on Musetti to win his match against Chorich at roughly minus 152, and my dog is going to be on Karatsev minus two and a half games against Schwartzman at plus 115. We'll be back at some point later on the week. It's very, very annoying once again with the schedule because most of the matches tend to end midnight or so at midnight. So it's really tough to scramble and find actual outrights. But we might have some matches or match lines posted. So stay tuned. We'll have another episode at some point during the week. But that's been this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Show Radio. You can find me also co-hosting a bunch of shows, WNBA gambling podcast. The playoffs are coming up. Stay tuned for that. Of course, I'm still doing some fantasy football stuff with Terrell. We got the NFL show just posted an NFC East uh, preview. So check out that still doing the NBA show, which we'll be back. And we have an episode planned for win totals later on this week. A lot of stuff going on. I'm excited about the content, but until next time for tennis, good luck to all of you and all your bets. Bye everyone.